Well, good morning. It's a blessing to be with you this morning. I am very thankful for the opportunity um, to bring God's word this morning. I just wanted to say um, I'm just very thankful for this church body, um, just being able to be a part of it. And uh, one of the things I wanted to share is just that I'm very thankful for your support as a church body for our student ministry. Um, Just a lot of great things have been going on this year within our student ministry in a lot of different ways. So just thank you so much for your financial support, your prayer support, and just just a lot of people asking about how things are going on in the ministry. So thank you uh, very much for your support of the student ministry. So this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like us to hearken back and go back to the Exodus. We're going back to the Old Testament at, at the beginning this morning. Just looking back at the Exodus, the time um, right before the Exodus when they're in Egypt, when they're in slavery, and the Lord brings the plagues. So we know that there was the, the nine plagues that happened. Uh, there was gnats, and there was blood in the water. There was different things where God was showing signs to the Egyptians. And we know that the last one, the final one, where we would come to see in Exodus chapter 11, Exodus chapter 12, is the, the plague of the firstborn. And so um, in that story, Moses and Aaron come to speak to Pharaoh and tell him about what's coming. And God has told them that this, this plague, this final plague, is going to be the one where we set you free. So as we go through our sermon this morning, the three things that I really want you to get from that, that we will go back to in the sermon, the three things that happen during that final plague, during the Exodus, before the Exodus happened, in the book of Exodus, are th- these are the three things I really want you to, to notice from that. First is the idea of the, of the firstborn, the fact that that plague was after the, the firstborn of the Egyptians. So the idea of the firstborn. Secondly, in chapter 12, it talks about in the Exodus that they were to sacrifice an animal. And what animal was it? It was a lamb. And that lamb was to be unblemished. So, I want, so after thinking of the firstborn, I also want you to think of that word, unblemished, the, the unblemished lamb. And then lastly, there, the, 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 could you put that picture up on the screen there, Jacob? So lastly, is this is what I also want you to remember about the Exodus, about, about the story of the, the, the plague, the last plague there is the, the blood on the doorpost. You remember, he told them to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the, on the doorpost. So what? So that God would pass over, pass over the Egyptians' home and not do the plague of the firstborn as he does with the Egyptians. So those are three things. The firstborn, the idea of the unblemished lamb, and then also the blood on the doorpost. Those are the th- three things that come from the Exodus that lead us into the story of the passage that we're gonna talk about. It's a, it is a foreshadowing of the coming of the Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb. So if you want to flip your Bibles over to Luke, I'll open them up to Luke chapter 22. That's where we're going to be this morning, Luke chapter 22. So just a a reminder of where we've been. So last week, um, Luke kind of took a pause or just was telling a story or letting Jesus tell and talk about the future, the things of future. So Pastor Aaron did a great job of reminding us of the of different viewpoints and things that were going on with the future during that, what Jesus is talking about there. But he also reminded us about the most important part of what Jesus was trying to tell us, which was what? That we need to be ready. We need to be watchful. We need to be ready for when Jesus is going to return. We can talk about all day about the different reasons or ways that that's going to happen, but what matters most is that we are ready for Jesus' return, that we are living for his glory so that we are able to be ready and watchful as, as when Jesus will return. So that's where we were last week. And what's interesting about this section as we come to today 
is in, in the previous major movements of what we've been seeing as the Passion Week unfolds, a lot of what was happening was happening in the temple uh, previous to this. But what we see here is that it, the story kind of broadens out to all of Jerusalem as the story goes, moves to kind of some broader scenes. And um, often we hear from uh, some of the other gospels the idea of the upper room discourse, and that's, what we're, that's where we are. That's where we're going this morning. Jesus is going to be teaching and doing a lot of these things within the upper room. So that's, that's where we're headed this morning. This is kind of the building up. We're, we're heading to the climax of the story here. We're almost there as we, as we enter the Easter season. We are almost to the point of climax of the story. And a lot of what happens today kind of leads us towards that. So Luke chapter 22. And today, what I really want you to see is, is the idea of the true Passover lamb. We, we just talked about in the Exodus, right, that they had to give up that, that lamb to that, that blood atonement uh, for their sins. And so today, we see in action the Messiah, the Savior that they've been waiting for. The true Passover lamb has arrived on the scene, and that's what we're going to see this morning. So if you'd follow along with me here in the, in the passage, we're going to read the first six verses and talk about a few things. So Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 1, follow along with me. The word of God reads, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, the, called Iscariot, who was number of, one of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to him to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to portray to them in the absence of the crowd. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is the, the true Passover lamb, the lamb suffers. So you see here, uh, one, of the, one of the things I want you to, to, to understand is that this is the Passover season. I don't, think it, there's no, I don't think anybody would think that it's an accident that the Passion Week would follow on the week of Passover, right? We, we know, we can see the foreshadowing of why this is happening. But the Passover week was what they celebrated, what, what, what we were just talking about, that, what happens with the first plague, right? Or the last plague, what happens there? That, that's what they're celebrating. They're celebrating the fact that God passed them over, passed over them on, for judgment. So they always do this, this celebration once a year. And so that's the week we're in. It's Passover week, and then we would call it Passion Week. So these things are two things that are interconnected. They are coming together. But what you see here is, is that the religious leaders and Judas are conspiring together to, to kill Jesus or to do something to, to judge him, to, do, to, to bring him down. They're trying to, to conspire to do that. So first off, we see here that the religious leaders are doing it, right? So the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. But what I want you to see there is the second part of that statement. They were seeking how to put him to death for they feared the people. And you hear that over and over again in the Gospels, that the religious teachers, the leaders, they are afraid of the people. They are afraid if they do this wrongly, if they do this in public and it's wide open what, what, what's happening here, that they are going to the face the wrath of the crowd. So you see here that that's what's happening. The, the chief priests, the scribes, the religious leaders, they're trying to, to seek a way to kind of cunningly in a backwards, kind of behind the scenes way, they're trying to take Jesus down. And guess what? They found a way to do that. So it says there in verse 3 that Satan entered into Judas. So there's always this question. Who is the reason for why Jesus went through what he did? Was it 
God's actions, his sovereign actions in doing this? Was it Satan being, it says Satan enters in Judas, right? Or is Judas at fault? Who, who's, who's the real reason? And my answer to that is yes. There, there's, there's, all of that is true. Judas is, is, is on the hook for his actions. He did this. He was the one that was conspiring and he was going after him. The, the religious leaders would be the same. Human action is here. They are at fault for doing this. But it says there that Satan was a part of this. His evil schemes are part of what's happening here. Satan entered into Judas. So he is a part of this. But we also know that God is in control. God is in control of all, of all things. And God had a plan. And this is a part of it. He's using these human actions. These, he's using what Satan's, his evil schemes, he's using these things to do what he wants to do, what he wants to happen. And so all of these things are happening here. So it says Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot who was one of the 12. And again, what did they do? They come together. Judas and the religious leaders come together. They went away and conferred with them how they might betray them. They were glad and they were, they were gonna give him money to do so. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray them in the absence. Again, you see that there? Right at the end. To do it, he wants to betray them in the absence of the crowd. So they're trying to do it not publicly, behind the scenes, in a cunning way. They're, 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 they're afraid of what, the, what the, would happen if they tried to do it in a very public way. So there's no turning back here. The day of reckoning is coming. The religious leaders are after him. Satan is after him. Judas is after him. They, they, are, they are seeking to make this happen. So both the, the group of people and the individual here, are, are, they are the ones that are trying to do this, and they're doing it together. The religious leaders and Judas are a part of this. All of this is happening. This is a very significant moment in biblical history because it, it is, this is setting off the chain of, of the Passion Day. This is kind of the, the time where it's not just the Passion Week now. We've come to the moment where this is all going to take place. This is a very important moment in biblical history. So we see here that the lamb is, come, is, is going to suffer. That's, that is what... Is, happens, right? Even in the sacrifice, the lamb suffers. The lamb is killed and, and sacrificed. So the true Passover lamb is also going to suffer. And you see it. It's, it's already started. It's about to happen. They're, they're conspiring against him. You think back year, a few years before this, when Jesus is, about to, is beginning his ministry, when, he sees his, when his cousin John the Baptist sees him, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God, right? So you see here that it's coming. They, that they know this. John may have fully understood or maybe didn't fully understand what he was saying there. But behold the Lamb of God who came to take the sins of the world. He is coming to suffer. He has come to suffer for our sins. That's what he has come to do. He is on a mission from God, and that means suffering will come with it. And that, that's the same for us. If we think we are going to, be, to live this Christian life and, and just live in comfort and safety and everything's going to be great, we are not counting the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We need to have willingness to suffer. We may have to set aside status and money and lifestyle and comfort and safety. Like I mentioned, we may have to set aside some of that stuff because we are followers of Jesus. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we're going to suffer just as he has suffered. We might not face persecution in this country and where we live now as much as we would if we lived in another place in the world, but there are going to be different types of ways, that, as I've mentioned before. We still may face different types of persecution. If we stand on Jesus and his word, 
we are going to be distinct from the world, which is going to cause suffering. It's going to cause persecution at times. So the question this morning is, are you willing to suffer like Jesus suffered? He is the true Passover lamb. He is the one that we are called to follow. So if we're going to follow him, we're going to follow to suffer. Are we willing and prepared to follow Jesus into hard times and to persecution? Maybe it'll happen in our workplaces. Maybe students, it'll happen in your schools. Maybe it'll happen in the cultural landscape and marketplace because we just have very different viewpoints. I don't, I don't know where it might be for you. But the question you must ask yourself is, if, are you willing to suffer as Jesus has suffered? Because that is what he did. He did it for us. And I, I just want you to imagine. I mean, how would you feel if you were, if you were a Jesus in this situation? He, he knows they're conspiring against him. He knows it. He knows Judas is going to betray him. He knows that the, how would you feel, how would you be able to stay on your mission when you know that these people are, going to, are doing this conspiring behind your back? Just such a hard way. And, that, and that's, the, that's the way that we should view things. People are going to treat us horribly. People are going to hate us for our beliefs. People are going, to, are going to look down upon us and persecute us and do those things. But we need to be willing to suffer. We need to set those things aside. We don't need to always fight back. We need to be willing to suffer just as Jesus did. So wherever it is today, I, I just ask you to ask that question to yourself. Are you willing to, and prepared to follow Jesus to hard times and persecution? So let's move on in the passage. Uh, move to verse 7. Follow along with me in verse 7. We're going to read through verse 20 here. Then came the day of unleavened bread. So to the, the, the start of Passover is here, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go prepare, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will we have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from that, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup has been poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So as they get prepared, you know, they are Jewish people, so they're going to celebrate the Passover. Um, Jesus tells them, it's time to celebrate this, the Passover. So this is the only gospel that tells us that it's actually Peter and John were the ones that he talks to about this. And so Peter and John are asking, where are we supposed to prepare this? Like, I, we know that we're supposed to do this, but where are we going to have this? And Jesus had it all ready. He was all ready for this to happen. So he, he tells them, look for the person carrying the jar of water, follow him, and he will tell you where to go. And so they, they, they do just that, and they know where it is, that the house that they need to go to, and they, get, they begin to pr prepare all the different things. So interesting enough, when I was in uh, Bible college, two different times I had the opportunity um, to take part in what they call the Passover Seder meal. And it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting thing that they do. So they, it's just a real big meal that the, all the family comes together 
and they read the story of the Exodus, so they read the Passover story that we, we were just talking about. Um, they have a very special meal that includes different food like lamb, uh, matzah bread, and wine. So they, they have these very special types of food that they eat. And then they just, they just kind of talk and fellowship and, and think about and remember what God has done for them over the past year or in different parts of history they can think about. So it's just a really interesting meal that they, t- and I, I had a chance to take part of. And so that, that was a, um, I, I really, I think it gave me a better understanding of what's going on here. So one of the things I want you to notice here from Jesus, what, he's, what we're seeing here is two things. One, J- Jesus was um, a very devout Jewish person. So he is following very clearly what he's supposed to be doing. He knows what, he, what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to be, and they're doing this Passover meal. And secondly, Jesus is in control, right? He knows who to ask for the room. He knows what's going on. Jesus is, is, is in control. And over and over again, you notice in this gospel that Luke is writing, and you'll see it as we go through the next few weeks as we get to the, the, the death and the resurrection and everything, that how much that Jesus is in control through God the Father and following him and, and being obedient. He knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And he's in control of it. The situation is, this isn't out of control. This isn't surprising to God. This isn't surprising. He knows what's happening. And so Jesus is clearly in control of this situation specifically as they get ready to, to celebrate this Passover. So they, have, they, they sit down to have this Passover meal. Um, again, this is the beginning of the Passion Hours leading up to his death here soon. Um, but it just starts very unassuming, right? So they're, they're doing what they usually do. They've had the, the meal. They're, they are fellowshipping with one another. It says in verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles were with him. And as he's saying that, it says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. He knows the time is coming. This is his last Passover with the disciples. He recognizes that. So he says, I desire to eat with this you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he knows this is his last time with them to have this Passover meal. And so this is a very important moment in the history, again, of, of, of our faith. This is the institution of the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, that's where we see uh, God clearly giving the Israelites the new covenant, what would be coming in the future. So this is the institution of the new covenant. Before, the Passover was a major, and, and they had lots of other celebrations now he's, through the Lord's Supper, through his supper, he is instituting the new covenant. So what are the elements of what's happening here? First, he tells them to take and break the bread. What does that represent? We talk a lot about that, and we will be sharing that a little bit here when we do our communion celebration this morning. The breaking of the bread is the, is the idea of, of, of Jesus' body being broken for us. So when we break the bread together, when we, when we do communion together, it's a reminder to us that when he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, saying to them, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, what does he say about the, the drink, the, the juice that we will have this morning as we take that? The cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So this is a remembrance. So this hasn't even happened yet, but he's instituting it before he goes so they can have that memorial, that celebration of what Jesus has done for us. That, that is what he is doing here. He is instituting the new covenant, which comes through his death and resurrection that is ha- going to happen just in a few days. So this is, I wanted you to be able to see clearly here that, again, there is work being done by the true Passover lamb 
First, remember, he's, we, we talked about how he suffered. And now that we, we are seeing that he has come to serve. Jesus didn't just come to, to offer himself um, to, as, as a suffering, but he also came to serve and to sacrifice. So you see here this sacrificial work that is being done. He's preparing them for what he's about to do. I don't know how much the disciples really fully understood 100% what was going on, but we do know that he was sacrificing himself. He was going to. There's something here because he's talking about breaking of his body and his blood being shed. We knew there was something coming. Because remember, what, 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 was, what was important about that, that Paschal lamb, that lamb for the Passover that was to be celebrated? It was, it was the death, the breaking of its body, the, the shedding of its blood for atonement. There had to be some kind of breaking of the body, some kind of blood being shed, so there would be atonement for the sin. But you know what's interesting? Is that that just never seemed to cut it fully, right? There just seemed like there was something missing. Like an animal really can't, can an animal's blood be shed really just for my, for the, will that really cover my sins? It was always looking forward to something more. And the more is coming. And that's what this celebration is for. That's what it's telling us is that this celebration, this, this memorial, this remembrance is coming because of the true Passover lamb that has arrived. The Messiah, the Savior that they've been looking forward to is here. He is here to die. He is here to rise again so that we can be saved from our sins. He is the true Passover lamb. He is sacrificially giving of his life as the true God-man so that we can be saved. We no longer have this, that type of sacrificial system. We no longer have to do those type of things because we have for once for all have this through Jesus. So when we come to the communion table in, here in a little while, I want us to, to, to remember what Jesus has done, how he's suffered, how he's sacrificed for us, how he's given his life so that we can be saved from our sins, so that we can have eternal life. It's not even just a remembrance to me. I, I want this morning, I want it to be a celebration. It's a celebration of what Jesus did for us. Certainly it's somber. Certainly it's Jesus died, so we think about it that way. But it's a celebration of what Jesus has done for us. We, sh we should see it that way. And we see that in this new covenant, we've finally seen God's glory shown the most. In the fact that his, God, his son, the God-man, has come. And the greatest act we see of God's glory being shown is that Jesus lays down his life as a sacrifice. That's what he's done for us. He, he, is, he has died for our sins so we can, so we can be, have eternal life. So sacrifice is something that the true Passover lamb does. And just like with suffering, it's what we are called to as Christians as well, is to have true sacrificial living. Jim read the passage this morning from Romans chapter 12. I'll read it again. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourself as a holy and living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that is our calling. We are to offer ourselves up as a true sacrifice. We are living sacrifices. Because we are followers of Jesus, we are called the sacrificial living. So again, that might look very different to all of us in our different seasons of life. But we are all called to sacrifice. So husbands, are you 
living that sacrificial living for your family, for your wife, for your children? Are you sacrificially living by the time that you give and the way that you just really protect them and you um, really just give them what they need as you lead in your home? So husbands, are you sacrificially living? For those of you that are that work in different jobs, like how, how can you live sacrificially within your job? How can you do jobs that maybe nobody else wants to do? How can you give the time that you need and, and do excellent in the different work that you have? How can you do that this morning? And, and, and I just think about how we can, we can sacrificially live in our homes, in our workplaces. Students, how can you sacrificially live in your schools? How can you give up more time and, and help your teachers out and help your fellow students out? I mean, what, what are some ways that you can think about sacrificially living? And even with our money, that's one of the things we don't like to sacrificially think about, but we need to give. We need to give to ministries, to the church, and to other people that are in need. How, how can we sacrificially live with our money? So I just want you to be reminded today that Jesus did the ultimate sacrifice for us. He is the, the true Passover lamb. We have our sin passed over because of what Jesus has done for us. So I encourage you this morning to think about how you can live as Jesus lived. We may not give up of our lives in that way, but we can give our lives as living sacrifices in honor and obedience to him and his word. So the question to ask this morning, are you following the true Passover lamb by sacrificially giving? Are you willing to do, do so now? Are you willing to make changes in your life so you can live that better? How are you going to sacrificially live just as the true Passover lamb did? Let's move to the, the rest of this passage this morning. If you follow along with me, we're going to be in verse 22. We'll read to verse 38. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. We'll start in verse 21 and start there. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at this table. For the Son of Man goes as has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it would be who is going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For one who is greater, one who reclines at the table, or the one who serves. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sit, sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out it with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has a sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. 
for it is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So uh, several things going on here in um, this section of passage, but I wanted to start by saying that I, I really believe what we see here is that the true Passover lamb has come to serve. I think about the people in my life that have been the greatest example to me about what it means to serve. Like a, a servanthood, like a servant, uh, a person that really just truly wants to give because he's following what the Lord has called him to do. Uh, my, my dad was, was just so sacrificial to our family growing up. Um, he gave a lot of time uh, to go to my games and to spend time with us and to, and to take us out. I, this, this is just one of the things, like, we used to go, uh, at, like, right after school, and we'd go, to, we'd go to Chili's, and we would just order chips and salsa and sodas and just drink and eat and drink and just have a good time. We, we, we would tip the, the waitress really well, because that's not a whole lot of food to order, but we, um, we really, we really I, just, I just love, I just think back on those times that we spent together. But also just the fact that he, he, at times my dad had to be bivocational or trivocational for us to even survive being as a, in a pastor's home. And so like just the sacrifice that he, that he gave, but also just the servant. He just served our family so well, and I'm so, so thankful for that. Um, I, I think about uh, Chris Potts was a guy that did our um, premarital counseling, just very influential in the early part of my ministry career in, when we were in Arizona. And um, just the, the, we had a group of Burundi Africans that came to our church that just kind of landed on our doorstep of our church a little bit before I arrived at the church there. And just his, the time that he gave, his, his money, his time, he sacrificed so much to, to just bring that people group into our church and make them feel a part of what we were doing. And I just thought how much he, how much he served uh, the Lord by doing that and how many people, how many children I saw come to know the Lord because of the, min the ministry that him and his wife were doing with them. So I'm just, I think of that type of servanthood. And I've had students in my life, like here at EBC, and students uh, in all my ministries that just have that servant heart. You know, you just ask them to do something, they do it, and a lot of times they just do stuff without asking. And I'm very thankful for so many of our students that we have currently in our ministry that are, that are leaders, natural leaders in that way, because natural leadership to me is servanthood in the, in the, in the gospel, in, in what Christ calls us to do. Leadership means servanthood. That's what Jesus does. And, and you'll see here in this passage that the human heart does not lean that way. We lean towards not serving. We learn towards trying to be the greatest and have what we want and get what we want and power and control. So I, I'm very thankful for the people in my life that have taught me that leadership means servanthood. Um, looking at this passage, he first tells them that there's somebody sitting with us at this table that is going to deceive him. So the first, you know, I, I love alliteration, so we've already talked about the three S's, so now we got the four D's. So the first one is deception. So we see here that Jesus is telling them that there, the time has come and that there's somebody sitting at the table that would betray him, and we've already looked at the passage, we know who that is. So Judas is the one that's sitting there at the table that's going to betray him. Uh, so we know that that's going to happen. So again, how, how hard would, you, would it be to know that the person, the actual person is sitting at this table with you that's going to deceive you? But Jesus is so much on mission, on his calling, he knows what he needs to do. So that's the first thing you see there in that passage. I want you to see, in verse 22, I wanted you to see too, it says that it, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. So again, remember, we, we asked the question, was it Satan, the religious leaders, Judas, or God, who's it? 
Who's at fault or who's the one that's causing all this to happen? Again, God's in control. It's been determined that this is going to happen, that, that, that Jesus is going to go to the cross and he's going to, to face this judgment for on our behalf. So this has been determined that's going to happen. So that's the first one. So you see there that, that decept, the deception of Judas is coming and Jesus knows it's coming. Uh, right after that, verse 24, um, the disciples decide they're going to get in a dispute. So they're, they've, after this great celebration of Passover, the institution of the Lord's Supper, here comes a dispute of disciples. It's typical, right? We can look ourselves in the mirror. Often when we have spiritual winds, Satan attacks, and we, we tend to fall sometimes, right? We, we, we get into these things, and, and we, um, our sinful hearts come out. And so that's what happens here. I think it's possible. I, I mean, maybe a smaller part of this is that the disciples are thinking, like, I don't want, I'm not, I don't want to make sure that protect myself that I'm not the one that is going to betray him. So they're like, okay, I got to, I got to, like, I'm going to hype, I'm going to puff myself up. Uh, I think that could be part of what's playing here. I think part of it's just the pride of man that they desire to be the greatest, right? They want to be at the top. They, they desire that. But what does Jesus tell them? He tells them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not with you. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. So again, leadership is servanthood. He's telling them the greater one is the one that has come to serve. That is our, that is our calling as Christians. We are called to serve. We are not to puff ourselves up. We are not to make ourselves the greatest. We are called to serve. That is, that is what, we, what, the, what the true Passover lamb is telling us. We're not to gain, looking for power and control. We are looking to serve at every moment. He challenges his disciples to be faithful, to be humble, and to serve. The third D is the idea of denial. So after he talks with them about, in verse uh, 28 there, he tells them that you've stayed with me along these trials and that he has assigned them a place in the kingdom and that he will eat and drink with him in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. After he, he tells them this, um, he goes and has a, a personal conversation with Simon, with, with Peter. I think it's interesting that you see there in verse 31 that he calls him Simon. Because remember, they changed his name to Peter. So he says, Simon, Simon. And I think it's referring to the fact that he says, behold, Satan demanded you over. So he's talking about the fleshly uh, idea of, of Peter, who he is, that he's going to sin, he's going to deny him. So that's why he uses Simon instead of the, his Christian name, which is Peter. So he says, he demanded, and I, I think Satan demanded to have you is kind of like the story in Job. Do you remember in Job chapter one where God's having the conversation with Satan about Job? There's probably something similar happening here that there's this talk about handing him over uh, to sin, and so that's what's happening. And then in verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and that when you have turned again to strengthen your brothers. So Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And that's foreshadowing because he's gonna do both of those things. Both of those things are going to happen. So he tells them, Jesus said, and then Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the, roast, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And we know just in I think next week's passage, the pastor will be preaching, we'll see that, that actually happening, that denial of Jesus that Peter does. And so, again, he's, he's going to deny him. He's willing to go to prison and death, which he will, but at this time he will deny. And then, lastly, decisions. 
So if you remember back, Jesus told the disciples to not really take much with you, right? No money bags, no knapsacks or sandals. And he asked them, did you lack anything when I told you to do that? What did the disciples say? No, they didn't, they didn't really lack anything. Jesus provided for them, and they had everything that they needed. But he tells them something different here. He tells them something's going to change. I'm leaving. Uh, there's persecution coming. There's going to be battles, physical, spiritual battles that may be coming. And that's, that's a debate about this passage. Is Jesus speaking that there's going to be spiritual battles coming or if there's going to be physical battles coming or is he mixing in both things are going to happen? I think I lend towards thinking this passage is probably talking about physical just because he's using physical things and we'll see later that physical things take place uh, with the sword, with Peter and all those type of things. So I think there's kind of a physical nature going on here. So he tells them, um, buy these, these different things, a cloak, uh, buy swords, do these things. And then he tells them, again, he's reminding them, he was numbered with the transgressors. He's fulfilling the scripture that was said, and he was numbered with the transgressors. His time is coming that he will die. And then the last verse, and they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he says to them, it is enough. He is announcing here in this passage, like I just said, that the time of fulfillment is coming, and so they need to be ready. They need to be prepared for what life is going to be like when he's not there. Because it's almost here. But again, what has he just told them in this passage? What is it that we need to be doing? We need to be serving. That's what we are called to do. We are called to serve. We are not called to have power and control. We're not called to, to, even, to even defend our, themselves, as Peter will try to do here in a little bit. We are called as Christians to serve. That is, what, that, is our, that is what we are to do. So I, I ask you today, just like with suffering, just like with sacrificial living, what are you needing to do today to change your life so that you can serve him more? Maybe it's serving here at church. Maybe that you have been kind of on the fence about joining and helping with a certain ministry. But how is it that God is calling you to serve right here at, at Eureka Bible Church? Maybe you need to serve your family better, spending more time with them, sacrificial giving to your family? What is it that you need to do to serve your family better? There's just a lot of ways that God calls each of us in different, in different ways to be able to serve. But that's what we are to do as Christians, as followers of Christ, as ones that are following the true Passover lamb, we are called to serve. We may suffer, we will have to live sacrificial lives, lives and we will need to serve. We are servants as followers of Jesus. So you see in this passage, there, there, there's, there's a lot of moving parts. There's just a lot of stuff, different stuff happening here. But I think it's all surrounded by the idea that the true Passover lamb has arrived. If we are going to truly put our trust and faith in Jesus as our Savior, it means we may have to suffer in many ways like he did in different ways. It means that we need to give up our lives as living sacrifices. He wants us to be humble, and he also wants us to serve. The original Passover in Ex Exodus, the, the last plague that we talked about, is a reminder of the shedding of the blood, right? We, we go back to the idea, right? The firstborn, that's Jesus, right? That's, that's what, what is, in Colossians 1, what does Paul call Jesus? The firstborn of all creation. The firstborn. Secondly, we, we talked about that unblemished lamb, that's Jesus. Jesus is the unblemished lamb 
that was sacrificed once for all so that we can be saved from our sins and receive eternal life. And lastly, the blood on the doorposts. The animal's atonement really could never fully fulfill that atonement that we need. So what happens? Jesus sheds his blood for our sins, to cover our sins, to pass so we can be passed over. He is the true Passover lamb for us. And so I just want you to see this morning that Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we can receive what we could not do on our own. We, we need the true Passover lamb in our life. Jesus is calling you to a relationship this morning if you do not have one. Receive Jesus as Lord and Savior because he is the only one that can help you be passed over for your sin. And if you are here this morning and you have a relationship with the Lord, I, I just hope that we can celebrate this morning. We can remember this morning through communion what he has done for us, his broken body, his shed blood as the true Passover lamb. As the elders come forward, we are going to um, come to a time of, of being at the, Lord's t- at the Lord's table. We come this morning to just remember uh, just the opportunity to remember and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. The breaking the, bo- the, the bread for his body and the shedding of his blood as we take the juice. And again, I, I want to I reiterate the importance of this being a celebration. I, I really believe that that's what this is, that we are celebrating what Jesus has done for us. We, we should, obviously, we know that sometimes we, it's, it's a somber thing because we're thinking of Good Friday, we're thinking of what Jesus do, did for us, but it's a celebration because we know what happened three days later. It didn't end there. So I, we, we believe here at EBC that this is a, this is a celebration. This, this table, what we're doing here, is for those that truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are here this morning and you have a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you participate in this. This is a celebration for all those that are truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us, let us go to the table today. Let us celebrate together as brothers and sisters in Christ for what the, Lord, what the Lord has done for us, that he has broken his body and shed his blood so that we can have eternal life. Let, let us celebrate together this morning.